but we've really just tried to hammer on those things of, of being a, a, a tough program, um, being a selfless program, but being a smart program, getting guys that understand the game, to play the right way, play together, and then really pound that drum um, and, and doing different things that can build camaraderie, doing different things things that can build toughness in practice, do a lot of competitive drills and reward those people. Instead of getting on the others that maybe aren't coming along as much, just keep rewarding the people that are doing those things. Hi everyone. And welcome to the Champions 101 Culture and Leadership Podcast. My name is Travis Doherty. I'm your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Our goal here, as always, in today's conversation is to learn from some great leaders and culture builders, to, uh, to pull back the curtain a little bit on what motivates them and what makes them who they are. And most importantly, to use that insight to continue to become the best leaders and culture builders we can be with our teams at work, at home, or wherever else our leadership is called for. The podcast is brought to you by Champions 101. Champions 101 is a sports performance and leadership development program designed to help coaches, athletes, and sports parents get the most out of their athletic experience. Like any one-on-one course, it's focused on the fundamentals, the basics of what becoming a champion requires. The truth is, champions aren't born, they're built. That's our belief at Champions 101, and I hope your belief too. If you're a coach or an athletic director who's interested in developing your leaders and strengthening the culture where you are, you can learn more at champions101.com. Today's guest on the podcast is Purdue University men's basketball coach, Matt Painter. Coach Painter is a four-time Big Ten Coach of the Year and was named National Coach of the Year in 2019 by the National Association of Basketball Coaches. His teams at Purdue are year in and year out, one of the toughest and most disciplined teams in the country. And our conversation today provides a ton of insight into the culture he's built, and some of the core values of his program and of his leadership style. I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did. I want to start with some ideas on culture. Can you maybe just clarify, what would you say are, you know, sort of the pillars or the core mm-hmm. values of Purdue basketball and, you know, those beliefs that really define uh-huh. your culture? You know, I think when it, when it starts you know, from a recruiting standpoint, you, you can lay down a foundation of what you want, um, but we're not in the business of drafting people. We're in the business of recruiting people. So that's where you're going to have um, at times a little contradiction. You know, you go after everybody that, that meets your criteria. This is what you want. And then all of a sudden you get half of them. And now you got to go out and then still have done your due diligence to make sure that they have the values that you're looking at. And that's hard to do uh, sometimes, especially with size, because you're not, you know, when you go out to recruit guards, uh, you know, you might have a handful of guys you really like. You might have two big guys that you really like. And so once you miss out, now people are, you know, saying, well, why don't you have a big guy? And you're like, well, he didn't meet my core values to a T. 
and you're you just you can't do that. And I'm a I'm a big proponent in you can't fix things with a speech. And so when you go to get guys and they understand things, you're not getting just them. You're getting everybody around them. And the thing about basketball that's messed up is it's really not that hard of a game to figure out. You know, some people do things differently schematically, but it's really not that hard of a game to figure out. So there's a lot of people that think they understand it when in reality they don't. So they listen to a lot of different people. So you got to know what you're getting, not just the player, not just the person, not just the student. It's the people around them that can or cannot help them help you. The number one thing that jumps out in our sport is it's a team sport. And we get lost around that because we recruit individuals to a team sport, but they want to know, how do I fit here? How, you know, how are you going to use me? And I've learned through the years to, to be able to say, because when they say that, only thing they mean is, what are you going to run for me? You know, how many shots am I going to get? That, that's what they mean. It's code, but that's what they mean. And I'm not going to run anything unless you become one of our top two or three scorers is what I tell them. So you can go down the street and they can say, hey, this is how we're going to use you. But if you come in and you don't beat somebody out, you're coming off the bench or you're not in the rotation. And if you're not in the rotation, obviously you're not playing. And if you're in the rotation and you're not starting, I'm not running anything for you. So I try to start off in terms of what everything looks like by just being as brutally honest as I can and hoping that they respect that honesty. And so that's how it starts. Now, my assistant sometimes will tell me, you don't have to be 100% brutally honest. We're going to end up with nobody on our team. So I, I understand that piece of it, too, because I was an assistant and put a lot of time in and recruiting. And But we really want somebody that is going to be a – wants to play to win a championship, wants to get an education, you know, is a good guy at the core. But I also really try to feed into a little bit of the selfish piece of it because there is a little selfish piece. Why shouldn't you want to play all the time? Yeah. Why shouldn't you want to start? But when those things don't happen, are we teaching people how to constructively handle that? So that's what we really try to do more than anything is get out in front of our issues, get out in front of our problems and say, hey, like we're going to have, you know, a talented, you know, deep team here. Can you sacrifice and play fewer minutes to, for, for the team and put on that happy face and cheer for your for your, your, one of your teammates who might be playing a little bit ahead of you. So the culture piece of it, <clears throat> more than anything, is something you just have to work on every single day. And that starts with having good assistants, having good people um, as support staff, and then just sending the, the, the same message every day about being places on time, you know, working hard, treating people fairly, um, understanding that you don't know what somebody else is going through. And, and being there for your teammates, but just being there, you know, for everybody and how lucky you are and how lucky I am to be a part of, you know, the Purdue basketball program. And if, you know, they come in and fire me or I have to dismiss somebody, we're still going to play our game on Saturday in February. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to go on with or without us. So trying to get them to have that feeling um, of, of just being grateful for the opportunity, being grateful at Purdue. You know, Purdue's not lucky to have us. You know, we're lucky to be at Purdue. And if you can just set the tone with guys, make them understand that, because a lot of people, what they go through, like these guys, what they hear in social media sometimes is really positive things, 
sometimes it can be it can be hard, you know, from a negative standpoint. But but they hear everything. They hear negative things. They hear positive things. They hear everything, and and that's not fair to them. So what ends up happening is like, who are they trying to please? I always say that. Like, are you trying to you know to please the guy that's been through it um, for thirty years? Are you trying to please somebody that you're in the dorm with? Um, that just started college basketball like you, you, you'd be amazed of like who they're listening to and, you know, what their process is. You're sitting there telling them, hey, I'm kind of giving you the keys here to understanding what you have to do to help your cause. And it doesn't seem like you're either buying into it, you're listening to me, you're, you're 100%. You know, it's one of those things as a coach where you know it's something. You don't know quite what it is, but you know it's something. and there's a lot of different things that they're listening to. There's a lot of different things that they're hearing. So trying to get them to trust what you're saying takes a little bit of time. And that's the one thing that you have to do. You're going to make a mistake as a coach, but don't sugarcoat things. Like just be direct, be honest with them, you know, be there for them when there's struggles. And as time goes on, you will grow into that trust. And um, sometimes not, sometimes it's, it's, you know, somebody's not going to trust anybody and that's a hard thing to do, but your culture and everything that you do and kind of the pillars of it to me just starts with being honest and making sure that they're there to get their education, making sure that they're going to have to put in extra time. um, If they really want to advance in the game of basketball, there's a lot of people out there that are good players and uh, you know, and having that sacrifice. But just, I always say that it's really hard to pass on somebody that's a good person, good student, good player. Like if you can get those three, you know, and, and they're good enough to be at your level, man, you, you can't have enough of that. You know, I know there are some coaches, some programs who like, you know, put the posters or the banners on the wall with the words, right. toughness, humility, sacrifice, you know, based right. on what you said there, it's obviously those values are integrated into like every conversation that you have and every experience you create for your guys. Do you put, you put words on the wall? Do you, do you talk about Um, specific words? I I don't, I I don't buy into um, like our guys constantly seeing things and that's how it's going to be. I just try to get from an action standpoint. I just try to get with your coaches and your support staff. We have a lot of people in our program that have been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. So we have a Dobo that's been with us. He's been at Purdue longer than he's been with us in the men's basketball program. He was an SID before Elliot Bloom. So he's been with us for 15 years. Brandon Brantley is one of our assistants. He's been with us for nine years. You know, our secretary has been there probably over 10 years now, Deb Hayworth. Um, we have an academic guy that's been with us for 16 years. We have a trainer that's been with us for over 10 years. So I think, you know, what happens, I've worked for two athletic directors. Um, in, in 17 years. When you have that consistency, I think it's easy because everybody gets on the same page. So I always tell them, if you can be no maintenance to low maintenance, you know, everybody will want to work with you. You know, just, you know, everybody has a boss. Like don't, you're, you're the basketball coach at Purdue, okay? It's a great platform. You can use it to help a lot of people, but don't try to be anything more than the basketball coach at Purdue. And so that's what I try to like instill to our guys and still to everybody on staff, just, you know, it, it's your role, be in your role, but that's, you know, that, that's where you are. Cause that's what you try to get players to do. Right. 
Yeah. You know, and then when they step out to something, it, you know, you really got to have good conversations because there's nothing wrong with wanting to do more, but this is what we need you to do, you know, you know, for our program and for our team this year. So you got to be able to do it too. So, you know, as, as a coach, so I think that's an advantage for us. I think people have a lot of different presidents. Our president's now been here um, for nine years. We have, they have, they have, you know, someone's, you have a pre, you have two, three presidents in a eight year period. You have four ADs in a 10 year period. Um, you have people on your staff that are, you know, it's a revolving door, you know, from assistance to support. We don't have that. You know, when we lose our assistants, they become head coaches. Very rarely do we lose an assistant and they go and be an assistant somewhere else, um, even though I think it's happened once. And, and, and so for the most part, we've been able to keep our guys. Well, now they understand. So now when they're talking to our trainer, like he understands, he's trying to help them, not just in things in sports medicine. When you're talking to our director of basketball operations, he understands what's going on. So I think that's an advantage for us. And uh, we haven't lost a lot of guys. You know, we'll have a transfer here and there, but we haven't had a lot of transfers. We're one of four high major schools this year that didn't take a transfer. So there's 75 high major schools. Only four of them have not taken it. So, you know, that continuity has really helped us. Yeah. And you talked about the continuity, you know, in so many different areas of your program. But, you know, you look at the uniqueness of even from a head coaching perspective, two head coaches in 40 years or so. Right. is obviously unique. And, and, you know, I think one thing that stands out to me about Purdue basketball is that you have a clear identity. You know, it's like when you watch Purdue basketball, when you go to a practice, when you're in the program, it's obvious, I think, and it has been for an awfully long time, here's who we are. Right. And some programs I feel like either have a hard time pinpointing what their identity is, or it feels like their identity changes from year to year. And obviously you having played for coach Katie and then that transition um, for, for you here, I guess the question is why do you think Purdue has been able to sustain that clear identity? And, and maybe I know this would be an assumption on your part, but why do, why do so many other programs struggle to create, or sustain that identity? Yeah, I think it's the work that you put in for your brand. Um, I think we're fortunate that we're in a great position um, in the state of Indiana where there's players. You know, you're, you're close to Chicago, you're close to Indianapolis, Fort Wayne. Um, you know, there's just a lot of really good basketball players. So I think that's an advantage for us. I think we have great fans, maybe the best fans in the country. Um, we have a great arena. And um, so through the years, it's, I think it's easier for me for who I've worked for in Bruce Weber, uh, Gene Cady, just the, the blueprint of what they did. You know, anybody can have a good team, but, you know, do you have a good program? You know, and I, I think, you know, being tough, being smart and being selfless, those three things as a basketball player is what you're looking for. But you're also looking for that in any person. Right. You know, you, you got to have some mental toughness in this world. And mental toughness is just simply doing simple things over and over the right way, you know, and getting people that can play the game the right way and be smart. I think we have great coaches in the Midwest. We have great coaches in, in the state of Indiana. So you're getting guys that have been coached a lot and that really helps some better than others, but you're still getting a lot of quality players, quality people, you know, that have been coached. Now I think the honesty in recruiting and straightforward 
brings a part of kind of that selfless piece. Everybody, I always use baseball analogies. Everybody wants to play short and lead off, but we're going to have one shortstop, even though they're doing a lot of those shifts and it looks like there's two or three shortstops sometimes, but that's just the, you know, that's what we want. Like, you know, we, we, we all have a little bit of, of that selfishness where it's like, how does this work for me? And I know this isn't a team game, but we've really just tried to hammer on those things of, of being a, a, a tough program, um, being a selfless program, but being a smart program, getting guys that understand the game, play the right way, play together, and then really pound that drum um, and, and doing different things that can build camaraderie, doing different things things that can build toughness in practice, do a lot of competitive drills and reward those people. Instead of getting on the others that maybe aren't coming along as much, just keep rewarding the people that are doing those things. And at the end, you know, we, we have a lot of seminars that we do to begin the season. We, we just did a culture seminar. I just did a seminar on shot selection. And as you kind of get through um, a lot of those talks and you start to show them. So I have broke down the most efficient players that we've had here in the past probably eight years. And I just showed them like their years and their efficiency and their assist to turnover ratio and their offensive ratings and all these things. And I just kind of showed it to all of our guys. And I said, you know what? The one thing that's in common with those guys are most of them are pretty you know, selfless, but they just played all the time. And they're, they're doing the things that we're talking about. And so like, sometimes guys don't hang their hat on what you're saying. They're just pretty good, right? They're just really good, but that's going to catch you at some point. If you don't know how to play and you want to go on past college, it's not going to work. You are not going to play where you want to play at that level. You just aren't. I mean, you have to have a good basketball IQ. You have to have a level of toughness and you're going to go into a role. You know, you're going to go as a two-way player. You're going to try to fight onto a roster. You're going to try to get into a rotation. You know, the odds are that you are not signing with an NBA team and being a starter. You know, it just those are just extreme odds right there. Now, you can work your way to that, but you're just not. So we have to have them ready and understand, like, hey, this is going to work for us here at Purdue. But going forward, it's really going to work. Like our last two All-Americans, you know, both have fought to get into a rotation in the NBA. You know, they, they, you just kind of hang and you linger there. And um, it's hard because you're, you're trying to beat out people that are really, really good. It's the, it's the best league in the world. Let's, let's dive just a little bit deeper into this seminar idea. Can you maybe just offer a little clarity on like what that looks like for you? Right, yeah. And, well, we have our assistants. Um, we have a director of uh, player development. If I have his title right, it's a new thing. And PJ Thompson, who played for us, it was our, one of our GAs just got his master's and, you know, he did his seminar on what the 18 year old PJ Thompson would have a conversation with the 25 year old PJ Thompson, what that 25 year old would tell the 18 year old and probably the 18 year old would tell the 25 year old some things and, and not be right. But um, you know, that was a really good seminar for our guys because I thought it was really authentic. Paul Lust did his really on just everything kind of around you as a player, the body language, um, how to play the game the right way, how to handle um, certain scenarios. Brandon Brantley did his, you know, on culture, you know, really touched on a lot of those things that we just discussed and the, and the toughness and how to go about, you know, just being a good teammate, you know, being a good player, working towards things, dealing with adversity, things of that nature. Mine was more of a, a basketball piece 
obviously with the, with the shot selection, a lot of analytics in mind, but a lot of examples, a lot of things that show them the good that we've done, the good of our program, but how can we be a little bit better at what we do? And just kind of touching on that, um, you know, with our guys, Terry Johnson, who was at Butler as an assistant and just came from Ohio State, you know, he just did a scouting report on Purdue. He's obviously played us when he was at Ohio State and Butler. So he said some some tough things in that room. You know how it's easy to talk about other people when they're not in the room and you go play somebody, you know, hey, this guy is not going to pass, you know, and you're just direct. Like when he gets it, like get in those gaps because he's not going to pass. Well, he said that a couple of times about a few of our guys and they were in the room. And, and so I told him, I said, hey, you have to be, you know, forthright. I'm always in practice talking to our guys about how to guard our other guys. And I, I just say really honest things about somebody like they're not there because I'm trying to help that guy guard them, but I'm also letting them know, Hey, like, this is, this is how people are going to cover you. You know, yeah. they might not cover you in non-conference because those people don't know what they're doing yet because they're not familiar with you, but people in conference in our conference, um, they know what's going on. You're going to, you're going to be defended in the big 10. They are going to try to take away what you do well. And um, you know, you have to know that going in. That, that seminar, I, I know there are probably a lot of coaches who would, who would steal that idea. <laughs> hey, now's a great time for me to take a quick break to tell you about Dr. Bish, the best, the most user-friendly and the most advanced shooting machines in the world. Dr. Dish machines are the most effective way to increase purposeful reps in your program. They provide custom training, real-time and detailed analysis, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. You can check out their selection at drdishbasketball.com and mention the Champions 101 Culture and Leadership Podcast for an exclusive discount on select models. Now, back to today's conversation. Let's talk briefly about, you know, despite the consistent success of your program long term, you, you had back to back losing seasons 2013 and 14. If we're talking culture, you know, I've heard you speak publicly in the aftermath of those couple of years that those challenging years for you were not really a talent deficit issue right. as much as they were a culture issue. Right. So I was hoping maybe you could just talk a little bit about I know, I know there are coaches who are going to listen here who are, you know, maybe. Where, where you were before 2013, 14, when you haven't really gone through a challenge like that. Right. There are probably some guys who are there in the midst of it right now, recognizing that, you know, maybe our culture has gotten away from us a little bit. And there are guys probably where you are looking back. Um, I, I guess we're just curious about what, what those couple of years taught you or kind of right. validated for you about your beliefs on culture. Well, first of all, I think the, the important thing to do is like when we, when I started off at Purdue, we were in last place. And, you know, that was not my fault. And you don't play the fault game. It just wasn't. You have change. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard and change. And it's not anybody else's fault. But it's not my fault. When we lost those two years after being at Purdue for seven to nine years at that point, that is my fault. So it, I think it's really important, to, especially publicly, um, own things when you've made mistakes. And so those mistakes are, are, lie in my decision-making. So now you got to go to the drawing board and say, well, how do we go forward and be able, and I, I think, and, and be able to correct some of these things. I think the number one thing that's hard for coaches out there, especially 
um, college coaches in this position is sometimes you don't have a lot of time to reshuffle your deck. And I had to reshuffle the deck a little bit. And with that, you know, I was fortunate that Purdue stayed committed to me because, you know, probably one more losing season, it, it's going to be really close. And you just can't go three straight losing seasons in this business at this level and then expect to really, you know, stay, especially if they're not your first three, right? If it's yeah. your first three, you feel good about, okay, year four and five, I got my guys in here. This is going to work. Um, so for me, I just had to kind of reevaluate, you know, what was best for me as a coach? Have I done a good job with our assistants and telling them, you know, what we need? Because um, there's nobody that comes to Purdue without me signing off on them coming to Purdue. So I, I hate when people that follow us or fans are saying, well, this assistant should have done this or this assistant. No, it's not on the assistants. It's on me. That's my fault. Even though one assistant might push a guy, I still have to agree to that. So I thought that was good for me to, to be able to own that for our start. And now who do you want to keep in your program? And then who needs some modification in terms of if you're going to stay, here's where the changes have to be made. And so we were just frank with a lot of people um, in our program who were staying and going and just saying, hey, like, you know, you we didn't run anybody off. It's like, if you stay, this is what you have to do. This is the way to change. If you can't do this, then this isn't your spot. And, but going forward, you know, I've always liked skilled guys. And, 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 and so, but then I would pass on some people through the years because I think we, we, we think from a stereotypical standpoint, like this guy can do it. This guy can't do it. And that's just that. And that's just not that. You know, it's the old adage about talent and production. You know, you're talented, you can jump over the moon, but yet you can't get us a rebound, especially in traffic. But yet here's this guy who's not as talented that boxes out every single time, checks his man every single time. When that ball's loose, man, you know, he pounces on it. And when you go from a production standpoint, because you take people that sometimes that are on the uptick and they haven't quite done it yet, and they keep coming and they're going to improve and they end up doing it. But a lot of times, more times than not, from a production standpoint, you sign somebody who does a good job of rebounding the basketball, they're, they normally are going to be a good rebounder in college. They score the basketball as long as it's kind of college points and you're not stealing points in high school. You know, you're, you're normally going to, you know, so if you get to making threes and you can move and shoot, sometimes guys who can shoot, but they can't move and shoot there's the difference there. You've got to be able to find guys with a high skill level that can move and make shots and that capacity, you know, guys that can take care of the basketball. So in my change right there, I was like, okay, these are some of the different guys that we went after Ryan Klein, PJ Thompson, Dakota Mathias. And those guys are, I think three of the top four, maybe the top three assist turnover ratio guys in the history of Purdue basketball. And so they all were together. And right away, you would say, oh, man, you've defended, you've pressured, you've got into people. How are those guys going to be able to do out in space? Well, PJ has the, the clear advantage there and because he can contain the dribble and he can use his quickness. But then people would say, OK, well, he's not tall enough to where like I've had Lewis Jackson, I've had PJ Thompson and like their height comes into play once every eight, nine, ten games. I mean, it was, it was like so rare. Just battle and fight them, knock them out in the post hit people on box outs, chase rebounds. Like you just learn to compete at that level. So that was never an issue. But yet when people are evaluating them, 
it's, it's an issue. Like it was an issue for me before, but wasn't really an issue. I don't believe it is an issue. I believe both those guys I mentioned that Lewis and PJ, like they're leaders, they got big hearts, they care, they're tough. They got so many other great qualities. So they're two inches shorter than what everybody wants them to be. Only thing that we've done with Lewis Jackson and PJ Thompson is win. So I, I could care yeah, less. Yeah, it's like their, their heart, their, their height comes into play every eight to 10 games but their heart and their toughness come into play like every single yeah. day. And those eight to every eight to 10 games. Exactly. So every possession, they have those other qualities I talked about. And when I say every eight to 10 games, I'm talking like a couple possessions, you know, in yeah. that eighth game, I'm not yeah. talking about the whole game. Like, you know, so you won't see games where that, it's in fact, I think one time that we felt that we took him out, you know, Tony Carr really got the best of him um, at their place after he did a great job. PJ did a great job on Tony Carr at our place. Then we went there. He was just getting into some sweet spots and he was posting him in mid range and it caused us problems there. But the rest of those games, it, it didn't, you know, it didn't cost us at all. And so I think people look at the, some things from a physical standpoint with guys like Ryan Klein struggled to contain the bounce. I think that, you know, out in space, but there's a lot of people that struggle out in space against quickness, you know, to contain the balance, but he had such a basketball maturity, just knew how to play tough, make tough shots, good pass knew what was going on. Dakota Mathias became a great defender when I thought he couldn't move through his hips. I was like, I'm just, I'm getting a great offensive player here, but physically, I don't know if he's up to snuff at our level. I just think he's going to have a tough time here, but he's so good um, and so knowledgeable and skilled that, you know, offensively, I'm not concerned at all. And then he became one of the best defenders in our league. He made the all defensive team. And uh, so it just kind of shows you like, he had such a strong will and work ethic that he just, he found a way. He watched extra film. He did things. So it really changed how I thought. Now, we don't pressure quite as much, um, you know, as we used to. Um, but we still, when we have those advantages or we have the personnel that can, you know, we still pick the ball up. We still do those things. That really evolved for me and, and, and really helped me because, like, at the end of the day, once you can get a little bit of security in your business, like, go get people that you know work for you and they're going to help you. Like who cares what anybody else thinks? So I told our team the other day, I go, every person that I've offered that didn't have in here in the last eight years that did not have other high major offers have all been successful at Purdue. I go, why is that? I go, because they have all the attributes and values we're looking for. But they normally will have a physical attribute that isn't up to snuff in everybody's eyes. So those guys don't get ranked very high. Those guys don't get ranked at all because athleticism is a big thing in ranking. Where you go to school sometimes will lower or higher your ranking. And that's stupid. Who cares where you go to school? Like, and I watch these national rankings and I laugh. And they're like, well, you know, you guys only have two top 100 guys. Oh, two top 100 guys in your opinion, not in my opinion. I got a couple guys here that are out of the top 150. I'd give two scholarships to because they're going to be that productive. They're going to be that good. And they go, man, then they'll come back and give me credit. I was like, don't give me credit. Ryan Klein's always been a good basketball player. Always, always. So he might've been five, 840 when he was 14 years old, but he was a good player then, you know? And so like they, how we get set up in, in like the top 20 players in the country, like one of my kids could pick the top one 20 players in the country. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, that's easy, but like, I'll see 28 and I'll be like, I'll take 96 before 28. 
I mean, I see it all the time. I mean, like, what are they seeing? Or what am I seeing? Maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Well, maybe, comes- maybe it goes back to, you know, we, we talked earlier about, you know, that identity that you've created, right? I mean, right. is it safe to say that there are a lot of people who have chosen to put more stock in the ranking number than you have? Right. And in doing so, in your opinion, maybe it's safe to say it's been harder for them to create an identity because sometimes some of that stuff is fool's gold. Right. And that's something I've in all of our, our seminars and our meetings here in the fall. That's I I've said it and I, and I don't know if it resonates with them, but I want them to know that they were chosen. You know what I mean? Like, I want them to know, like, hey, like, I know I'm on you, but you're well, that's very guy. empowering. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just want to. And I, told, and I use that. It's great that you bring that up. And I told them, I go, if you do what you're supposed to and you give your best effort and you're trying to do what we ask you to do, we will empower you. If I got to fight you socially, I got to fight you academically. If I got to fight you basketball wise, we will manage you. Yeah, that's great. Just tell them right to their face. We will manage you. And I just said, it's, it's cool. I'm not going to yell at you. I go, but it shows me that either you're, you're going down the wrong path or maybe that, you know, you're not ideally 100% like our guy. And that's what I told him. I said, we got to have a better buy-in. I think our buy-in at Purdue is one of the best in the country, but it still has to be better. And that's what we really are trying to strive to get those guys to do is I don't know if there's a program out, out there that has 16 guys at 100% bought in. I don't mm-hmm. care who you are. There's somebody down there, eighth or ninth man, 10th man, like, man, I should be playing more. This should be, and it affects them. Like that's just competition. That's part of a team. That's the evolution of everything. But that's what we really try to push towards is trying to get them to understand, like, why don't you want to run this program? Because if you do what you're supposed to, you will run this program. Like, cause you're a good player. Like if you weren't a good player, you wouldn't be in the room. So trying to empower those guys, but also being able to keep your focus on the people that are doing what they're supposed to, how many classrooms or how many teams, the people that get the attention are the people that don't do what they're supposed to like trying your, your best to just, you know, because there, there is going to be some hypocrisy at times and own some of that hypocrisy. It's like, me and you both do everything that we're supposed to. And this guy over here does half of it, but yet he's way more productive than us. And we're doing everything we're supposed to. He still plays that that's part of, that's part of a competitive hypocrisy and, and players that do what they're supposed to do not like that. They do not like that. But if you're not honest about the hypocrisy, they will look at you and be like, man, he says this, but yet he does that. So if you own it and say, no, hold on here, it's effort and results. It's not just effort. You know, if you're if you give half that effort, you are hurting our team because you give half that effort. But if your results are clearly way better than that guy giving a full effort, like we're not a fool here. We're still trying to do what's best for Purdue. Right. And so but you, you have to be able to get into those tough conversations. You got to be able to talk about things before it happens. Like shot selection for me. I have started my fight, Travis. You know, there's not a coach out there that doesn't fight shot selection. But when do they wait for it? They wait for it in the first game, first inter-squad game, first exhibition, first practice. But my fight has already started. And so now there's people in the room that's heard this speech, you know, three or four times now. And so when they get to it and everything, I have a reference point. Hey, this is what we were talking about. These were the things that we showed you. These are the things that we need you to do in these situations. Not this. You can't take tough 
long twos that are contested early in the shot clock. You just absolutely can't. You can't take crazy runners against seven-foot guys with 16 on the shot clock. Like, learn to play off of two feet. Learn to dribble through. Learn to get the ball out of your hands when two people are on the ball quick and right away. Like, basic things. You know, just basic things. When they don't do those basic things, now you have that reference point. If you don't have a reference point, and now you're starting your reference point on November 15th, you just wasted two months. So now you can fight it for two months. So then when you get to things that matter, you know, now you're in the middle of that fight, or maybe you're at the end of the fight. Maybe someone's yeah. bought in by then, you know? So, but when you have people in your program that have seen it work, those are the guys that really have to carry the water for you. you you've used a couple of words repeatedly throughout the conversation here about honesty, about ownership, and obviously toughness, humility, selflessness are all, you know, you would agree or some of those core principles that we talked about in all these interactions that you have with your players, who do you want your players to see you as like, as they go through this process, when they get done with this thing, who do you want them to look back and say, coach painter was this guy. He, he made this stuff important in, in my life and my career. Yeah. The one thing that I always say is that I want to make your hard work fun. Like that to me, because I think there's, there's millions of people out there that have to do what's best for their family and they provide for their family, but they don't enjoy what they do. I think if you can give them that example, I enjoy what I do. I don't enjoy everything that I do though, but I enjoy what I do. And you have to learn to be able to do things that you don't like so you can do the things that you really you know, want to do. If you can't do some things in your profession that you don't like, at some point, you're not going to be able to do what you want to do. You're just not. So trying to get that and say, hey, I have, I have fun you know, coaching basketball. I have fun putting a team together. Um, but it's hard work and it's frustrating. Like if you, people don't realize that this about the coaching profession. Like you're, you're disappointed a lot. And you just are. Like you're, you're disappointed, like you're down, like you got to be able to compartmentalize because you're just going to bring it home with you. You're going to, you know, whatever. So you learn to or take it. it right back to practice the next day. No question. No question. And then that happens. And sometimes that's what drives you. You'll see a lot of coaches that enjoy being miserable. They wouldn't say it, but they, they kind of it puts them on edge. I'm not a yeller screamer um, by nature, but you come to our practice, you might leave and say, Hey man, that dude, like he never raised his voice or you come to next practice and say, he yelled the whole time. Like I'm going to go off of how things are going. Not like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do today. I don't, I don't have that mind. Hey, this is what I'm going to do today. Unless it's like a bad loss. And if we were going to have some effort mistakes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be all over that. Yeah. I'm going to be all over effort mistakes. Well, you know, we're going to do our best, but no, just trying to be honest as you can. And be as forthright as you can and just try to help those guys, um, you know, through some struggles and, and through, you know, you're going to build, you know, your trust through adversity. That's what, you, you know, and you're going to build your trust through being honest um, with those guys. And so and be their friend. Don't always look at it like, you know, you're the head coach. They're the player. Just two people, you know, just be their friend. Like, hey, man, like. I think that you're doing a really good job, but 
these things could really help you. You know, it's saying hard things to them. Like, I think you're hanging out with a couple of clowns. Yeah. Like, I'm just, maybe I'm being stereotypical. Maybe, I don't know. But I have been doing this, you know, and, and played and got recruited, you know, 33, 34, 35 years. Like, you know, I want what's best for you. Like, you can't say that enough. You know, I believe in you. But, like, I think you've got some blinders on just like I did when I was 21. I think you're a little too social. Um, I don't know if some of the people you're rolling with are, are the best for them. I always say that about when people say, I don't know if you should hang out with them. And they're like, you know, I don't think they're the right people. I always flip it and I said, well, maybe they shouldn't hang out with you too. You know, let's keep it in perspective. Like we're not the almighty because we can make a jump shot. Like nobody cares when you get, you know, nobody cares if you can make a jump shot in this world. Let's just get down to it. Like it's, it's, it's great. You're a good basketball player. But you've got an opportunity and a scholarship at Purdue to now have a better life. Don't just look at it like, you know, that small window of like, man, I'm going to have a great career. And if you just got a couple all-conference plaques at home and that's all you got from it, then, man, boy, I did you a disservice and you, you didn't get it. It's about taking this opportunity and then using Purdue. Purdue has an unbelievable brand. As a university, you know, as a school, just everything, basketball program, we have a great brand, you know, the blue collar, tough, hard nose, like those, those are great qualities, you know, in the real world, like those things will go a long way, you know, for you. And then being honest and, and working hard and uh, whether, you know, that helps you in your relationship, that helps you in business, that helps you in basketball, it always wins out. It always wins out. And the honesty is the best because you're going to make mistakes, but then you're going to make one mistake. You know, you make a mistake and lie about it. You just made two. Yeah. And then you got to remember what you said. When you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. And so just getting them, they have such a knee-jerk reaction at that age. I know I was that way. It's like, well, how can I get out of this? Or how can I get away? Instead of just saying, boy, I messed up. I apologize. You know, yeah. there's a consequence to this. and I'm going to handle it and move on and then not do it again. Instead of trying to, you know, skirt around it. And it just, it doesn't work that way. All right. Last question. This kind of ties in with a comment you made there in that answer. I've heard more than one player of yours say when their career was done, Coach Painter made me a better basketball player, but he also made me a better person. Right. Coach taught me a lot about the game, but he taught me a lot about life. What, what would you say you've done to create that kind of an experience for your right. players, one that's, that's bigger than basketball? Yeah, just trying to fight for them. And, and sometimes being an advocate for them is fighting them. Being an advocate for them is maybe fighting some people that are close to them. And like, you know, stand on your principles, you know, stand on what you believe in terms of what builds somebody into a good place. I use a lot of what I do on the mistakes I made at their age. So when people do make mistakes, I own the mistakes that I made 30 years ago. And say, okay, here's what I did or whatever. And so right away, it puts the guard down that there's no judgment and that we're just here to help them. So that, that's what I've always tried to do. Even with guys, you're not going to have a great relationship with everybody. People say, oh, he's got a great relationship with his former players. Not all of them I don't. You know, I wish I did, and I don't know if that's on me, on them, whatever. I always look at it like, you know, sometimes things just don't click, but it's hard sometimes when people don't get exactly what they want to feel good about their experience, even though they bought in, they gave to the team. They did all those things. They still wanted more. You know, this comes from somebody who averaged four in college. So I understand 
You know, I got offered by half the schools in the Big Ten. I'm, so you're thinking like, man, I should have went here. I should have went there. No, I went to the right place with the right people. It's just hard. Mm -hmm. It's just tough. And the person who got in my way more than anything when I played was me. That's what I always tell our guy. I told our guys yesterday, the team that's going to get us, if anybody can get us, is we're looking at them. That's us. Yeah. That, that's, who get, that's who gets individuals. And then when you make mistakes, here's what I always tell them. When you make a mistake, the world loves when somebody makes a mistake and he fixes it and then he smooth sails all the way out. The world loves that story. The world hates the one where the guy makes the mistake, doesn't learn from it, and makes it again. Because when they write that article after your first mistake, and then you make the second mistake, they always put that first mistake at the bottom of that article on the second mistake. Always. And then if you want to make a third one, oh, there we go. We'll, we'll put the second and the third one in there also. Like, you know, it's so now all three things. And so they you have to understand that about life. Like you have a brand. Like social media can be such a positive because you could be branding things. You could be supporting and advocating for great causes, great people, standing up, you know. You, you name it, social injustice, coaches versus cancer. You can go on and on on the things that you can stand up and fight for to try to help. But there's also so many things that are in there where guys are living on it and listening to every single thing. And it's like, hey, man, get off your phone and go work on your game or go to the movies and have a good time or whatever it might be. But right as you leave, if you're upset, if you leave Purdue and you're upset about like us being on you, or whatever. Those are the very rare guys that, that leave our program. And then you look back five or six years and say, he went and did exactly what he wanted to do. And now he's not being successful. Yep. So like, you got to keep fighting guys to when that light bulb turns on. Sometimes they walk in the door and the light bulb's already on. They get it already. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they just, they get it. Most of the time it turns on at some point, you know, in, in, in college. But if you can get guys already that are that way, oh, you're in business, especially if they're good enough. You know, you're in business because those guys always, they always take off. Yeah. So that's, you know, just trying to fight for our guys. Like I know coach Katie fought for us, you know, and, and, and trying to help them guide after basketball more than anything, if they need help in that area, because it's hard, it's hard when you play 10 years overseas or, you know, now you're starting your second career, you know, you're 33 years old. The workforce wants to know what the hell you've been doing. Yeah. If you say you've been playing 10 years overseas, they'll shake their head like, like, like what, what, like really, like, you know, you got the experience of a 23 year old mm -hmm. and you're 33, like that just doesn't work, but um, you got to start working um, towards your second career while you're doing your first in basketball. You got, I talk about recruiting, having two dreams, you know, having a dream through basketball and having a dream through education, you know, people that have one dream and the only dream it is, is basketball. You're, 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 you're being foolish. doesn't mean it can't happen, but you, you're in a position where two dreams can happen. And that's what you want to work towards. My thanks to Matt Painter for joining us on the Champions 101 Culture and Leadership Podcast. And thanks to you, too, for your time here today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged by this conversation. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, make today a great day. Lead with courage and conviction and keep doing what champions do. Mm -hmm.